ask you the question. First, what I'm going to do is try to do something that I've never done with this software. Hey, look, it worked. I'm so happy. I forgot to put a slide in, and I need this right now. Oh, this is so good. The only thing is, I didn't do everything right there. Give me one more, one more minute. Eric, I apologize. Let's see if it brings it all up. Oh, I am so happy. Eric, you may have to advance these. Do you see what I'm doing? Do you know how to advance them? All right. Well, let's read together. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me for the reading of the Lord's Gospel this morning? Does anybody have this opened in their Bible right now? Got it right here? If, if we can't advance this, we're going to run over and hear, hear Phil's version for, for the rest of this after verse 4. Here is how it goes. On the third day... There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Can you advance that, Eric? Oh, I love it. <laughs> His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some. Take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, just so we're clear, that means after the people have gotten drunk, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask your blessing on it this day, the message this hour, in Christ's name we ask, amen. Please be seated. What good is an empty vessel. What good is an empty vessel? It was the third day. If you were to go back into the earlier chapter, John chapter 1, there are actually two days outlined in that chapter. But on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. This introduction... To Jesus' miracles is preceded by, in the book of John, those other two days. What has happened in less than the last two weeks. 
It says that Jesus was, was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. Now this would have been a community party, a community celebration. Everyone would have been invited. You know, we went with Jake down there in Texas. He took us up into Austin. He lives in a little town called Georgetown. And he wanted me to experience real Texas barbecue. And Jake's a great host. Him and, him and Bailey do a great job. But they took us up to this place. I forget what it was called. Sammy's Barbecue, I guess. And there were people lined down into the street to get in to get barbecue. They had a big building out back. They worked all night on this barbecue. And we went in, and, and you just ordered by the pound. I mean, you, you ate it family style. You ordered it by the pound. And Jake's standing there getting ready to pray for the meal. And I said, no, no, Jake, I got it. I'll get it. I'll get it. And there were five of us in our party. And when they totaled up the bill for brisket and pork and some vegetable sides and all this stuff, I don't even want to tell you because I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I, I, I was saying, here, Jake, you, no, you could, no, I didn't. <laughs> they fed the whole community. They were going to have a party for this wedding. And everyone in the community would have been provided for in every way possible. And if you ran out of drink, this would have been considered a social disgrace. And you're, this would have been something that they would have never forgotten. They'd have lived in that community, and every time somebody looked at that couple, they'd have remembered, that's the people that didn't provide enough for the party. So Mary's urgent. When Mary comes to Jesus and says to him, they have no wine, the words are terse, the words are brief. They've run out of wine. And you got to love Jesus' response. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now I want to stop for a minute, because I've always read this with a little bit of resentment in my voice. Have you? You know, Jesus comes along and says, they've got no wine. And Jesus says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Today, if I walk up to any one of you ladies here today, and I say, woman, you're probably going to be offended by that. Am I right? Huh? That's a little bit, little, little bit out of place. That's not at all the way it was in Jesus' day. Jesus' response to his mother is actually courteous. He's asking a real question. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So you've got to put this into the, the, the right frame of reference here. He's saying very cordially to his mother, what's that got to do with me? First, he's saying to his mom, and all of us have had to say this, you know, I'm an adult now. And, and try to say it in a nice way. What do I have to do with, you know, what, what's this got to do with me, Mom? I'm grown up. But he's also saying something else. Look at what it says. My hour has not yet come. Please understand, Jesus is saying, I'm operating on a different timetable than you are now. I am actually operating in a whole different frame of reference. Hold that thought and hold it close in the back of your brain. He's pointing out, if you look at it, 
My hour has not yet come. He's saying I'm operating by a different wristwatch. It's no longer yours, but it's mine. If you were to go to the book of John 17, and the reason I point out John 17 is very important because it's in the book of John, and we are right at the very beginning of the book of John, and John 17 is right where Jesus is getting ready to pray for us before he goes to the cross. So it's very important to see. We're at the beginning of his ministry. John 17 is at the end of his ministry, and John 17, 1 begins like this. Father, the hour has come. Now think about that for a minute. He says to his mother, my hour has not yet come. But when you get to John 17, Jesus says, my hour has come. And glorify your son that I may glorify you. You see, right now, as Jesus is approached by his mother, and he says, my hour has not yet come, his, his reply to his mother, establishing a new agenda, a new schedule, a different time frame, is really saying, My task is no longer like yours. And Jesus' mother does promptly what any mother would do. She ignores him. <laughs> she says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And I believe that's because Jesus' mother, Mary, knew that Jesus could fix the problem. Now, there were six stones there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now you notice from the text that these jars would have held 20 to 30 gallons. But they were there for a purpose. It was ritual hand washing. It wasn't, you know, I <laughs> just before Christmas, I found little bottles of hand sanitizer and I had the best of intentions of handing them out Christmas Eve to everybody that came. And Christmas just became so very incredibly busy that I didn't get that done. So right now I've got in my garage two cases, little bottles, over 120 bottles in each box of hand sanitizer. And I had the, the picture today just bringing them down here and saying, there's your, there's your 120 gallons of water, you know. Because that's what they were doing. They were washing their hands. Now we don't think... I don't know about you, but I've become so sensitive these days uh, to germs because of what we've been through for the last couple of years. They would have came by and it would have been ceremonial. You were expected to stick your hands into one of those jars, wash your hands, and then you could get on with the party. It was ritual. They're sitting there. They hold 20 to 30 gallons apiece and Jesus says, fill them up. Now, if if those six jars just held 20 gallons, and the typical glass of wine or cup it would have been, a clay cup, held four ounces, can you see that there's over 2,000 there? But then you've got to know this. They diluted their wine three to one with water. So we're talking about quite a bit of substance in this little couple of verses. And he said to them, now draw some out. And they took it to the master of the feast. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. Though the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And later, after people have drunk freely, they'll bring out the poor wine. But you, you have kept your best wine until now. 
I want you to see that this, um, th- this master of the feast, this head waiter, is surprised. This is really good wine you're serving here, and you should have served that at the start when people would have known that, but you've let us get to this point, and now you've brought out the best. And John fills in the gap by saying this, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did, at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What was the purpose of this? I'm going to tell you my answer. My answer is I'm not sure. There is a message in this miracle. Jesus changes things. Jesus converts things. Jesus always changes things for the better. But if you were living at Jesus' time, you would know that you wouldn't even know this happened. It happened in relative obscurity. If you knew it happened, the only reason we know it happened is because John chose to write it down. But the story would have been told. And, and we know that some heard about it because look at the last end of that verse. And his disciples believed in him. But what was the purpose of this? When you get to the end of the book of John, John chapter 20, we find out that most of the signs that were recorded about Jesus were recorded so that people would have faith in Jesus. These things were recorded that you might believe in him. Is that all it was? I think there may be an answer to the question that only God knows. Maybe only Jesus knew. Maybe only Jesus and God knew what that answer is. We tend to go with John. It was meant so we could have faith. But if you were to go back, remember I said to you very early on in this message, go back to that first chapter. John the Baptist is standing out there in the water and he says this, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one that you don't know. I baptize you with water, but there's one standing here that you do not know. It's kind of odd because this was the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be waiting expectantly for the Messiah. And here's Jesus standing right in amongst them. And John the Baptist says, there's this guy standing here today that you don't recognize. Now we know the end of the story. It's the Messiah, but they didn't know that. And you'd have thought they'd have recognized him if they really were God's people. He could have helped them at any moment, but they didn't recognize him. And I'll tell you why. It's much like those water pots that are standing there where they wash their hands ritualistically, ceremonially, where their religious life had become just that. Nothing more than a bunch of external deeds with absolutely no internal motivation. They had no hope. They went through their externals, washing their hands, doing the things they did. But there was nothing there to fill, ultimately, what was an empty vessel. And it wasn't the jar, it was their being. Jesus, when he replies to his mother and says, what have I to do with thee? The answer actually is probably absolutely nothing. Because until you know who it is that's standing amongst you, it's not going to make any difference. I want to talk about this on about six levels, and then we'll get to the end of the message. 
Do you ever notice that in this passage, without Jesus, everyone's thirsty? You can drink from any cup that you choose. But if you don't refill that cup, you're going to be thirsty. You can drink from the cup of your vocation. You can drink from the cup of financial success. You can drink from the cup of alcohol. You can drink from the cup of drugs. You can drink from the cup of sexual excess. You can drink from any cup you want to drink from. But eventually, that cup will run dry. And something new has to fill that cup. One day Jesus came and he asked for a drink from a woman. She's out there pulling water out of a well, and he asks her if he can have something to drink. He's thirsty. And then he says to her this, and, and it's really what this miracle's about. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give to you, you'll never be thirsty again. The water that I give to you will become a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. I want you to think about that. When the money runs out, when the accolades run out, when the sexual excess runs out, when whatever it is that's in your cup runs out, you will be thirsty. But Jesus says, let me fill that cup. In John 7, 37, Jesus stands up. It says, on the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he said to them, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So often we don't come to the right one to fill our cup. No matter what cup you have that has run dry, Jesus is able to fill it. Isaiah said this, come everyone that thirsts, come to the water. Come you that have no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. But the key is here that first word, come. Come and let Jesus fill that cup. Come and let Jesus quench that thirst because without Jesus, you will be thirsty. On a similar vein, without Jesus, every pot will be empty. Wash your hands ceremonially. Yeah, the wedding, the wedding feast, that's what you do. But you'll run out of wine, just like they did. But it's actually a spiritual life, a, a spiritual picture, rather, of the spiritual lives of the people of Jesus' day. Why did John the Baptist stand up and say, there stands one amongst here, you here that you do not know? It's because their spiritual lives have run completely rampantly away from the very one that they were looking for. And religious life without the Messiah, religious life without Jesus becomes an empty life. And many of us choose to live our lives religiously, but not Christ-like. Religiously. I go to church on Sunday morning. I'm going to be in church on this day at this hour at this time for my 60 minutes. And I'm going to do my thing. And that is what will fill me for the week. And it's not true. What's missing is the very one you're looking for. A religious life without Jesus is an empty life. And a spiritual life with Jesus becomes full and overflowing. you ever gotten into the place where every circumstance of your life seems to bring you to a place of negativity? Does every trial that you arrive at lead you to defeat? Is every difficult situation that comes your way a reason to give up? 
Maybe the reason is that suits with no body serve no purpose. Maybe saints with no spirit have no life. Maybe pots without wine are nothing more than ceremonial, tasteless, empty, and worthless. But maybe pots that get filled with wine of the spirit of Jesus become vessels that honor the God who longs to fill them. You know, Paul said this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let me, let me read to you the rest of that passage because it's so very important. When Paul said, we have this treasure in jars of clay, we immediately jump, listen, to thinking that that means Jesus has filled those jars. That our vessel, Paul is saying, I am such a good Christian that my jar is filled with the presence of Christ to the point that life can't get any better. But listen to what Paul says. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the power belongs to God and not to us. We've been afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we aren't driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Did you hear what Paul just said? He said, my life is tough. It hurts at every angle. Yeah, I have filled this vessel with something that you can't imagine. It's been afflicted. It's been driven to despair. It's been persecuted. It's been struck down. But I've not given up and I've not forsaken God. And he's not forsaken me because I carry around in all of these things. Not the ability to give up, but rather the ability to lean in on him a little bit more. So there's a question. Are you empty? Seriously, don't, don't shake your head or raise your hand and give us a testimony. I don't want to hear the details right now. But ask yourself that question. Am I empty? I mean, does this life I'm living feel the way it should? Paul said in 2 Timothy these words to Timothy, In a great house there are vessels of gold and of silver, but there are also vessels of wood and clay. Some of them have an honorable use and some of them have a dishonorable use. If one would cleanse themselves from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. You know what I think is going on in this story of the first miracle of Jesus? For all of our outward religious, seemingly spiritual life that looks so good, like we want it to, to those on the outside, it's very possible that it may be devoid of anything truly on the inside. Because if Jesus isn't there, that pot is empty. That empty cup, and, and let me go a little bit further with this. Let me tell you something. If that is the case for you or somebody you know today, they have no business teaching a Sunday school class, leading in any way, serving the church when they don't even know the Messiah, the Christ, that they claim to own. That empty cup's got no business doing anything but trying to find how to fill that cup with Jesus without Jesus religion is worthless you know those water pots on that wedding day 
they were filled before the party began. Do you know that? I mean, there was preparation made. The entire community was coming to wash their hands. Ceremonially or not, they were going to wash their hands in that water. And I'm going to tell you what would happen when you have that many people coming to wash their hands that many times. Eventually, the pots are going to begin to go down. And the more they go down, the muddier the water gets. Did you ever think of that? You look at your hand right now and you say that puppy's clean. Let us all go dip our hands in a bucket. And I'll tell you what, what's in that bucket you don't want to talk about? And religion without Jesus has no spiritual value. The only thing that can bring life to an empty vessel like that is Jesus. How do you do that? I think it's the word of God that needs to fill the cup. In John 15, Jesus said this, You're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You can go days or weeks or months or years or decades with an empty religious life. But i got to tell you something, when you really need it, that religious life is going to fail you the most if it doesn't have Jesus in it. It's not my job to save anyone. It's my job to preach the word. To provide the right stuff to fill the vessel. Word of God's able to do its work on its own in the vessel that's open and available and willing. Tell you one more thing about those pots. Without religion, or without Jesus, religion is dried. You can take that two ways, can't you? I mean, in the first place, if the pot's empty and there's nothing in it, it's going to be dry. But in the second place, without Jesus, religion is dry. There's a story that I'm just going to read very quickly, 14 verses. Most of you know it, perhaps you've read it, I don't know if you do or not. But it's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. I want you to listen to this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There's a desert there. And Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her riches. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that this man was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before it shears is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? His life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet speak? Himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And they commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the wallop at water, and Philip baptized him. 
When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Do you see what just happened there? This eunuch's reading something that's really good, the Word. He's reading a passage that you and I would love, and he's reading it, but nothing's going on. And God sends Philip his way and says, hey, Philip, you go over there and talk to that man. Philip comes over and says, can I help you? And he says, yeah, I'm reading this, but I don't understand what it says. Philip says, that's Jesus. Down there, down there in Jerusalem, there, there's this man. He would put on trial, and he died. And three days later, after they buried him, he rose from the dead. And what that, what that prophet's talking about, even though he probably didn't know it when he wrote it, was the Messiah that we've been looking for, was the Savior that can forgive your sins and give this new life to you. And Philip says, do you understand? The eunuch says, yeah, and there's some water there. And all that religion I had before this was so very, very dry. I want to fill my cup. It's as if Philip came down and took a pitcher and just dumped the word into this Ethiopian eunuch and said, here's what you've been looking for. I once knew a man, you remember, any of you remember when the, the church used to give out Sunday school pins? If you got perfect attendance, they'd give you a pin. You get perfect attendance, you got another one, it hooked onto that one. And before you knew it, you'd have this long strip of pins, right? I knew a guy, a good friend of mine, he had more pins than anybody I ever saw in my life. And the strange thing was, he could recite scripture. I mean, I, I would be talking to him. I'd known him all my life. I didn't know this about him. He's lying on his deathbed with cancer, and I'm talking to him. The pins come out, and he shows that, and he's talking about when his mom raised him in church, and yada, yada, yada. And then he starts to recite Scripture, and I'm like, man, this isn't the same guy I knew before. Because his mouth could just flow with all manner of evil like you could never imagine. I'm like, what is this? It's an empty pot. It's a pot that's dry. One day he chose to say, I want Jesus to fill me before he died. And guess what? Made a difference. All that, all that stuff from the years before that he had learned, that he had known, that had absolutely no effect. Suddenly, because he really had Jesus, made a difference. Friends, most of us have gone through a life with a religion that's dry and without Jesus. And we need someone to fill the pot. Finally, without Jesus, the third day never comes. Now, let me, let me tell you why I wrote that this way. You, yesterday, I'm strolling through Facebook land. I know some of you don't do Facebook, but you know enough. You've heard people talk about it. I'm strolling through Facebook land, and our good friend, Kristen Alatsis, the mommy of Addie and Nick, posts. Now a post is just something where you say where you're at or what you're doing, something like that. And she posted. And the post went something like this. You know, you can put on there, uh, Joel Atkins is with his beloved family eating dinner at McDonald's. That would be a post. Well, Kristen posted this. Kristen Alotsis is with Mark Alotsis drinking coffee at Jeremiah's Coffee Shop in Marietta, Ohio. I have never been to Jeremiah's Coffee Shop in Marietta, Ohio, but I know Mark and Kristen. 
and I knew that they were having coffee somewhere in Marietta at a coffee shop that named Jeremiah. Now, if a pastor hears the word Jeremiah, what does he think, right? I think what you would think. Oh, you thought I would think of the book of Jeremiah, the life of Jeremiah. That's not what I thought. I thought, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word. You know it. Don't try to act. Let's sing it. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine. Right? Three Dog Night, right? I mean, I grew up with that song. And so I commented on Kristen's post with all that. But I posted this. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. Never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his coffee. Because they're in a coffee shop. You got it? You ever have that happen? I, I, I have songs pop in my head for words. Sometimes I hear they trigger. Jeremiah did that to me. I would like to tell you I was more holy. I'm not. I thought a three-dog night song. I did not think of Jeremiah the prophet. Why did I put up here on screen, without Jesus, the third day never comes? Remember how this, do you remember how this chapter began? On the third day. Do you remember that? I think God is really slick. I, th I think he does things that sometimes we miss. This is his first miracle. Jesus' first sign at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus, or rather John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's God, begins to write the second chapter. And what does God have him write? He doesn't have him write while Jesus was at Cana. No, he has him write on the third day. And what happens on the third day? Well, Jesus is at Cana, and there's these empty pots, and they need filled with water. And then when they're filled with water, they get changed into wine. And the master of the feast comes out and says, oh, that's some really good wine. Why'd you save that till last? You usually put the best out. And then the worst at the end. The third day. You suppose God's wanting us to remember something about the third day? Like maybe something that matters a lot in the Christian life. Like maybe it was the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. Like maybe this first miracle, which is seemingly amazing, is really meant to point us to the most amazing, the resurrection of Jesus. Because this first miracle, the changing of water into wine, the making of something simple into something wonderful, the taking of something that we all often take for granted, the cup, and turn it into something that is life-giving, Maybe it's supposed to mean something to us, this story in John chapter 2. Maybe it's there for us to understand that there's a parallel between this first miracle and Jesus' last miracle, the miracle he wants to perform in us. Because I think this is so. The first miracle of Jesus is the last miracle you'll ever need. 
Because Jesus takes emptiness and commonness and religion and he makes it far better than you could ever imagine. In the miracle of salvation, Jesus takes unclean vessels and makes them clean again. In the miracle of salvation, Jesus fills empty vessels with something far better than you could ever imagine. And Jesus makes us, Jesus makes us far better than we could ever imagine we could be. He makes us holy, and we can't do that ourselves. He makes us acceptable to him. We'll never be able to do that ourselves. And in fact, if those disciples that day wanted to fill those pots with water to not embarrass the family at that wedding, it would have taken years to accomplish because they'd have had to plant the vines, then grow, harvested the grapes, then smashed them up. But Jesus did it in a millisecond, less than a millisecond. You see, the first miracle you really need to know about is the gift of God's forgiveness. The gift of God saying to us, you can't do it your own. And for all your effort, you can be forgiven for all that effort, for that life of religion that's never going to cut the mustard. You can be forgiven for all that sin that's filled your life before this time. You can be forgiven for all that ritual that really had no meaning whatsoever. And you can be who God intended for you to be in the first place. If you today don't know Jesus and you think that it can't get any better than this, you are seriously spiritually challenged. Because I want to tell you something. There is nothing like filling your vessel with Jesus and what he will do if you don't know that truth and you've never known that truth and you don't know Jesus and you're not filled with him, if you never experienced his forgiveness, there's no better day than today to find that out. We're going to sing our last song this morning. I'm going to go back and sit where you've seen me sit. And we're going to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. I want to tell you the, the truth of that. The forgiveness of God can set you free from the chains that bind you. The forgiveness of God and the filling of his spirit can take what you think's normal and make it extremely, exponentially, infinitely better than what it is. Because it's salvation, it's the promise of eternal life and a life with Jesus. Let's sing.